0: You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Now, before we turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 13, just another announcement. The, if you're a student, there's a student breakfast that's coming Saturday, at 9 o'clock, um, and We'll be looking at shame, I think, is the... Guilt and shame is the the title. I'll get that right later from somebody, but I'm supposed to be speaking at it, so I should know. (laughs) Right, let's... It's page 1212, 1212 in the Church Bibles, and it's a very short prayer. We're going to read it together, verse 20 and 21. May the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I don't know if... I suspect you are like me in this, because... You're all sinners. But I often reflect on the quality of my prayer life and feel it's very poor. I result often in uh, cliches. And if I can't think what to ask, I'll say, God bless. And I don't really know what I mean when I say that sometimes. And in order to discipline my prayers and to help me express what the Father wants me to say in the name of Jesus, in the Spirit, I often go to the prayers that are given to us in the Bible, the Lord's, what's called the Lord's Prayer, which we are invited to pray every day, or um, like a good jazz musician to make um, expressions of that every day, um, or the prayers of uh, the Old Testament, particularly the book of Psalms, but other prayers, and then the prayers of the New Testament throughout the letters, um, and here's an amazing prayer. At the end of this letter to the Hebrews, it's so rich. Um, Anne Anne Ackert said to me before the service, I don't know whether she was warning me or encouraging me, but she said, you can get an awful lot of sermons out of that, couldn't you? Um, And yeah, you can, you could, but I'm not going to today. Just one today, you'll be pleased to know. Um, And one of the reasons why it's so rich at the end of this letter it does seem to sum up a lot of what he's been saying in this letter. It's like he's come through this word of encouragement, this short word of encouragement to failing Christians who are facing persecution, Christians who've come from a Jewish background who are tempted to turn back to Judaism because it will alleviate their persecutions. He's writing them to encourage them to show the greatness of Jesus, the supremacy of Christ in all areas, and not to give up. And he sums up the burden of his preaching in this prayer. Um, Unlike lots of other preachers, myself included, um, sometimes when we're preaching, we'll use a prayer at the end of the sermon to get in all the bits that we forgot to put in in the sermon— um, he's not doing that. He's, he's summing up the burden of his message, and that's why it's so rich and so full of um, content that we need to tease apart if we're going to get to the bottom of it, but that needs many sermons. Um, what draws my attention to this uh, in my circumstances is that phrase, the great shepherd of the sheep, having started just my Last week was my first full week as pastoral assistant. I light upon anything that can help me in that ministry of being a shepherd to God's people. And I jump in this, and I saw this shepherding of the sheep. And so that drew my attention to this. Um, And then as I meditated more and more upon it, there's lots of good things for us. However, I want us to notice that there's basically one prayer Uh, one request there, or maybe two, but one big request, verse 21. May you be equipped with everything good for doing the will of the God of peace. And secondly, may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. So, equipping is the the big thing he's asking for. May you be equipped with everything that is good to do the will of God um, and to through His work in you, do what is pleasing in His sight. So, let's just take these two questions. Who equips and what are we equipped with? What are we tooled up with? Okay, who equips? Well, he starts off by saying it's the God of peace. Here's four, five sermons I could think of straight away in that little term, the God of peace, but we'll stick it just the one today. God of peace. That phrase occurs five times in the New Testament. Two times it refers to who God is. God is the God of peace. May the God of peace be with you. Um, And uh, two times it refers to what the God of peace does, that he brings peace. So you've got um, the God of peace who crushes Satan under your feet. And may the God of peace sanctify you wholly, uh, thoroughly through all different parts of your personality and being. May you be made holy by the God of peace. So, God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a God at peace with Himself. Infinite knowledge of infinite righteousness, um, of infinite love, produces an infinite satisfaction Called peace, an infinite creativity and wholeness and, and beauty, which is uh, described in the Old Testament by this word shalom or peace, and is carried through into the New Testament. And as you know, uh, if you read the letters of the New Testament, the blessings that come upon us are grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so, peace is what God is in and of Himself is the God of peace, but also it's what He does. He brings about peace. And if we look at the revelation of God in the New Testament through Jesus, there are numerous dimensions to that peace that He brings about. The God of peace brings peace between sinners and a righteous God. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. God who is is in enmity with all sin and sinners, has made peace through the blood of the eternal covenant, through the death of the good Shepherd, the Great Shepherd of the sheep. He has made peace between sinners and a righteous, holy God. So, there's dimension Godward word with, with regard to peace. There's a dimension um, society words with regard to peace. The God of peace reconciles the Jews and the Gentiles into one new family, the church. And so, He is our peace who has made the two one, says Paul to the Ephesians. Christ is the bond of peace now between tribes and nations and tongues and countries and anything that we divide. There's now neither Greek nor Jew, slave nor free, um, wise or foolish. We're all one in Christ. He has made peace on a societal level. And then there's the internal dimension of peace that the gospel brings. We are disordered beings. God made us that we might worship Him and glorify Him with feeling and will and action and thought all united together as one. So we are to think love and feel love together as a a united reality. We are to think joy and be joyful as a united reality. And sin splits that. So you become an intellectualist who says, what matters is what you think. Or you become a strong-willed person. What matters is what you do and how you perform doesn't matter what you feel or what you think, so long as you get the job done, or you become an emotionalist, what really counts is genuine feeling. So long as you feel the love, you don't need to love anybody practically, you don't need to give up your coat on a cold day to somebody who is freezing, so long as you feel it. And so these three realities in our what the Bible calls our heart, a center of our personality, Our thinking, our feeling, and our acting, our will—these three realities are meant to be one, together acting together, without um, any distinction between them. And God, and they are not at one; they are in enmity to each other. They pull against each other. They pull at different directions. So sometimes we are over-emotional when we should be more rational. Sometimes we're too cold and rational when we should be feeling and sometimes we're just too blimmin' lazy and holy when we should be doing. And the God of peace unites these separate elements, these psychological elements of us together through Christ, through the great shepherd of the sheep. He unites us progressively more and more so that we regard people, as Paul says to the Philippians, it is right for me to think about you this way because I hold you in my heart. And the word he is often translated, feel about you this way. And so you have kind regards towards people because you think kindly towards them and you feel kindly towards them. Now, that is salvation. That is the God of peace at work when these separate elements of our psychology are united together. And then there's a fourth dimension of peace that we are waiting for. When we are fully redeemed and adopted as children of God, there will be peace in the cosmos. There will be peace in this broken earth. There will be peace and wholeness for the frustrated creation. And the God of peace will bring all things into harmony to glorify and praise His name. Four dimensions of peace, each one worth a sermon on their own right, but I'll just leave it in there. So, he is the God of peace. That's who he is to us. Um, When you're wanting to be equipped well, you need to um, to have somebody who knows what they're doing um, and is rightly equipped. If you're going to be a uh, in a a motor race or Formula uh, One race you want a motor race mechanic and not a naval engineer with a hobby you you want somebody who knows what to do sorry, I had to bring that one in for for you there Duncan there we go Um, and also you want to know if you've got a track record um, of doing good it doesn't matter if you're well qualified as a mechanic for the race but has your experience been good um, have you helped other people get through to the end and win the race? And so you have both of these things um, in the, as it were, the padding around the prayer, you might almost call it. Right, so the prayer is, may God equip you for all things, the God of peace, to do his will um, and work what's pleasing in you, in you. But he has this little section in between that, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. This speaks of his track record and his ability to equip us. He brought back out from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. Can any of you raise anything that has died and bring it to life? None of us can. No one has ever done it but God has done it. He has brought out from the kingdom of darkness our Lord Jesus Christ to life, incorruptible, life that will not stop, a life that is full of vibrant, glowing, green peace, wonderful. Green is the color in the, new, in the Bible for, for, for fruitfulness and, and brightness Um, So green and living things and life. He's brought Jesus out from death, up again from the dead. And it's not just the normal word used um, for resurrection in the New Testament. It is bringing up again. And I believe that that is an echo of the bringing up from Egypt of the people of God out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, into the land of freedom. And our Lord Jesus Christ is the pioneer. He is the author. He is the one who is going ahead of all his people. He is the shepherd who leads his flock out of death into life eternal. And that starts now and will be consummated when he returns again. So what's God's track record? He is a resurrectionist. He is the God of peace, one who makes dead things live and things that are not as though they are. He is the one who makes a second creation and a second great exodus with a greater mediator even than Moses. However, in the letter to the Hebrews, um, I think we are to infer, and in this prayer, something more about the God of peace which is why I entitled this sermon, Equipped by the Father. It is God the Father who is specifically being referred to as the God of peace, I believe, because he's brought Jesus. It's not Jesus who's, who, who um, is the subject of this prayer. It's God the Father. Now, that's really important. God, The word God appears um, 86 times thereabouts in the letter to the Hebrews, Twice it refers to Jesus as God, but all the other times refers either to God as Trinity, but more specifically, I believe, to God as Father. In particular, in the sanctification passage in chapter 12, he is called the Father of lights, our heavenly Father who makes us like Jesus. Now, I want us to think about the significance of that that the God of peace is the Father who is at work equipping us. Why am I saying that? In the Bible, fathers taught their children their business. If your father was a carpenter, you would be a carpenter. The Father would teach the Son. And likewise in the New Testament, the same picture is brought through. Jesus, Son of the Eternal Father, teaches us the father's business. If you've seen me, he says to Philip, you have seen the father. I am about my father's work. Now, it's important for us, I think, to grasp that when we are being equipped, it's not an impersonal God of peaceful powers, as it were. It is a super personal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and it's the Father who is equipping us. Now, some people don't warm to the revelation of God as Father. I've had one conversation this past week about that already, that they could never... And these are uh, committed Christians who cannot warm to that notion because their experience of fatherhood is so negative, so lacking in their life. And some of you might... Uh, miss the significance of the Father God in the opposite extreme. You've had such a good experience of Father that you never ever stop to think how um, that great experience that you've known of you, of your earthly Father might be eclipsed and overshone and, and outglorified by the reality that Jesus reveals to us. And so we need to learn about the reality of God the Father from revelation and not from personal history, and come back to what he reveals himself to be. He is personally involved in each one of his newborn children. It is a personal investment he's giving. i um, will trying to illustrate this. I don't know how many of you have ever seen uh, the Clint Eastwood movie, Gran Torino. Any of you? Some of you have, not all of you have. Right, Clint Eastwood plays a retired uh, widower living in Michigan in a neighborhood that used to be all white and now is full of um, incomers, refugees, the Hmong people. He is a Korean veteran, and he's quite a bitter kind of guy, Um, yeah, and a bit of a racist, and um, he's all up up behind him. One of the neighbors, a Hamong child, whose father has died, so he's been brought up uh, in a fatherless household, Um, he's encouraged by the the gangs roundabout to break in to this guy's garage, Clint's Clint's garage, and steal his classic car, a Gran Torino. And, of course, he gets caught by Clint with a rifle uh, um, because he's an ex Marine or whatever he was, and doesn't get away with the car. However, after a while, Clint decides to make something of this would-be gangbanger child, um, a neighbor, and he fathers that boy. He takes him to uh, his friends, other men, and introduces him, how you act as a man with other men. He takes him to the store and says, I've got a job lined up for you in construction. And he goes down to the tool store, and he, and he kits him out. He puts a tool belt around his waist. He puts a hard hat. He gives him a lunch box, and guides him, equips him for that work. And that's a wonderful picture of the redemptive power of our Heavenly Father. He comes to those who have tried to steal His glory. And through the blood of the eternal covenant, through our great shepherd of the sheep, our Lord Jesus, He restores us to good work, to glorifying Him um, uh, in all that we do, completing His will. So, that's who does the equipping. Second question, what is your kit? What are you wearing? What are you equipped with? And it's the Father, the God of peace, who is kitting us out. He says, let me Kit you out with all that you need to do my will. And he says, let me come into the tool store, to the robing room. And he opens the door, and there you see Jesus, clothed with the gospel, a multicolored coat of grace in all kinds of colors and dimensions and possibilities, And the Father is so full of pleasure with the Son, and the Son is so full of pleasure with the Father, and they are ready to help. And the Father says, now what do you need from me today to do my will and to do good works? What is it you need? I'll give you Jesus. All elements of your salvation, your rescue, your redemption, your renewal are found in Him and in Him alone. Through what He has done, and through what He now does, as He ever lives, to be your intercessor and mediator. And so, we come to Him for forgiveness, or we come to Him saying, well, even saying sorry, I'm not really good at that. Heavenly Father, I know I should feel sorry, and I know I certainly should say sorry, I can't manufacture a proper sorry. I have to say sorry because my sorries are bad, and I'll get into an endless loop of saying, well, I'm sorry that my sorry about my sorry isn't good, and I'm sorry about my sorry about my sorry. And, and you go on and on and on, and the Father says, wait a minute. Let me show you Jesus clothed in the gospel with multicolored coat of grace, able to help you now, reigning from the throne of grace. Let me show you Jesus, who was baptized on your behalf in the Jordan, who made good confession, not for his own sins, but for the sins of the people. And let me show you Jesus on his second baptism on the cross, when he was who knew no sin was made sin for you, so that you might become what is right in me. Ask and enter into his saying sorry for you. He will perfect your poor apologies and repentance. Or you come, I can't serve you because my hands are polluted, my lips are polluted, my thoughts are polluted. I am unclean in so many areas. Everything I touch leaves greasy fingerprints and spoils the work. And our Father says, well, I've got just the answer for you. Come into the robing room and see my son clothed with the gospel, the great shepherd of the sheep. His blood shed for you will make you clean, will cleanse you from all that is not right. I oh, always we say, well, I'm ignorant. I know so little. My knowledge is poor. Let me bring you into the robing room, and show you the one who grew in knowledge and wisdom as a child, and will teach you. Where did this man get such knowledge and wisdom, they said about Jesus? Isn't he the son of a carpenter? And Jesus would have said to them, I got it from the Father, and because I learned wisdom through what I suffered, I'm able to help anybody who asks for knowledge or wisdom to help. Or maybe it's perseverance, big theme in, in, in Hebrews, keeping on to the very end and not giving up. And we are encouraged to look at our great shepherd of the sheep who persevered through the end. Consider him who uh, received such opposition for, from human beings that you will not lose heart, Look at Him, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross and despised the shame of it. Consider Jesus. He is all that you need to persevere. Come to Him. Or cheerfulness, or um, um, just the ability to do the work of God, the empowering that we need. I don't feel like it, and if I feel like it, I'm not doing it with a cheerful spirit. Come to Jesus. Heal the one who did it for you and will now do it in you by the Holy Spirit. And of course, the great work, two great works that, um, of God that the, the Bible talks about are the work of loving God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. How many here feel you don't need to learn anything more about that? Have you got it? You're perfect at loving at the moment. Let me show you, says the Father, the great high priest, the great shepherd of the sheep, who learned love and obedience through suffering. And he'll teach you and empower you and enable you to love. Last thing about equipping, I want to to say, for, for doing good work. We're all, I believe, called for major works, as it were, which are in um, our calling, whatever that might be. That's our good work that we are set apart for by God. So that can be a homemaker, that can be an engineer, that can be a teacher, that can be a preacher or a pastor, that can be a sweeper, that can be a tradesman or a craftsman, that can be a scientist, that can be a researcher, that can be a student. What is your calling? That is your work that God has given you to walk in, the big thing for you to do. Now, do you know how to be an excellent student that will glorify God in all that you do, in what you learn? Come to me, says the Father. I'll bring you to the good shepherd. I'll show you the one in whom all wisdom rests. And I will give you wisdom for study and research. I will give you wisdom the, now, wisdom, as I need to point out, in the, in the Old Testament, wisdom is a practical knowledge working out how to glorify God in what you do. So, you get wisdom for farming, and wisdom for management, and wisdom for kings um, who govern, and princes who govern, and overseers who oversee, um, wisdom for priests who offer sacrifices. Wisdom is a practical um, knowledge working out how to glorify God in all the circumstances of life. And so, if we need wisdom to be a student or wisdom to be a parent, how to do those good works, we come to the Father and He introduces us to Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. When it comes to tools, I have learned from bitter experience that cheap in the long run means expensive that you can go down to the bargain basements um, and buy the cheap tools. They will not do the job um, terribly well. They'll be out of true. Sometimes if it's a cutting tool, the edge is not very good or the the metal that it's made from is soft, um, will not take an edge, will not keep it. It will frustrate you. Um, It's the quality that counts in so many things with regard to tools or being equipped to do a job. Think of the quality with which the father equips his children to do good works. It is the person and presence of the great shepherd. Moses was the shepherd who brought The people out of Egypt into the promised land didn't go in himself. Jesus is the great and glorious shepherd who brought his people out of slavery into the place of blessing, not by the taking of other lives, but by the giving of his own life, by the laying down of himself, by the pouring out of his own being into service and And this is what he still does, if you will but ask him. The great shepherd is not robed in in majesty that is unapproachable. He is one of us. He has learned um, through his own weaknesses and his own experience how to help those in trouble. Glorify God and enjoy him forever. How does God the Father equip us to do good works? He gives us Jesus. Everything is found in him, and anything that you need, that you think you can get without him, is substandard tools. It will break in your hands. It will not glorify the Father. Now, back to um, that illustration of the Gran Torino. A Gran Torino, in case you don't know, is a classic car, Um, a much desired car by those that love cars. And there's a, a scene in, in the movie when Clint has waxed and cleaned and polished and, and buffed up this car and is sitting on his porch and he's looking at the car and he goes, Sweet. That's all he says. Sweet. He's a man of few words, okay? Now there is a moment or many moments when the God of peace looks at the work that he has done in the lives of his beloved children, and he stands back and he says, Sweet. How sweet that love that pours itself out for their children. How sweet that love of a husband that lays down his life for his wife and gives up so many things he could have kept so that he can serve her in the way that Christ nourishes and cares for his church. Sweet. How sweet that act of service that nobody else noticed, but I noticed. You went and got the dustpan and the brush. Nobody told you to do that, but you saw the mess and you went and cleaned it. Um, You saw the untidiness. You dealt with it. You saw the pain and you comforted And God looks at you and he goes, sweet. There's an aha moment in any creation of anything when you stand back from what you've made or painted or done and you say, well, if you're me, you'll say, I can say all the mistakes, but if you're somebody else, you'll say, that's really good. Ah. And there's an aha moment in the God of peace when he looks at what he's made of you He started with such unpromising materials, didn't he? (laughs) But God is a God of resurrection. God is a God who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. He can do that with pretty poor materials because he's got the best of all workmanship to do his will. He's got Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep well, do you want to hear that sweet from the Father? Bring your weaknesses. Every time you're made aware of them, as Tim was telling us in prayer, every time you feel your weakness, perhaps your weakness is you're a preacher and you want to be liked and admired by uh, people that that you preach to. That's a weakness. Um, Bring that to the Father. and He says, Don't worry about what they think about you. Don't worry about what they say to you. Sometimes they'll say good things. Don't get taken in by that. Some people just say good things out of habit. Um, Sometimes they'll say bad things. Don't be disturbed by that. Some people are just miserable um, and they need to learn more, uh, more grace. What you need to know is what I think of what you've done. Um, bring that weakness to Him. Maybe maybe your weakness is that you want to be liked all the time. Bring that to Him. And God, says, God will transform you. I'll bring you into the presence of the, of the great shepherd. I'll show you that He did not go through life wanting to be liked by anybody except the Father. Except the Father. He could take the hatred and the spite. He whose heart is so tender towards um, unkind words and unkind thoughts because he loves so much he he learned to bear that as a man of sorrows because he knew the love of the father he knew from where he came and where he was going can you do that take your weakness take your weakness to the father and be clothed by all the fullness of jesus